Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 to 7. Now these are the last words of David, and this is what he speaks before he dies. The oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man whom God exalted, the anointed one, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the favorite of the strong one of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His word is upon my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, one who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. Is not my house like this with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But the godless are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be picked up with the hand. To touch them, one uses an iron bar or the shaft of a spear, and they are entirely consumed in fire on the spot. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5 to 10. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. Did you memorize that? Did you get all that down? (laughs) For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that's what it says. Is that what it means? Since today is Music Appreciation Sunday, I'm going to start the sermon off with a a little experiment related to music. Um, Have you ever heard Pachelbel's Canon in D? What does this make you think of? A wedding. How does it make you feel? And you don't have to answer this, really. Just think about, how does this make you feel? This is an example of music where most interpretations are in sync with one another. I heard many from my peanut gallery back here um, say, a wedding. Um, How about this piece of music? Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. What does this make you feel? (laughs) 
heard about four or five different things, and that's, this is about par for the course. This, this piece of music offers a much wider variety of interpretations depending on maybe when you first heard it or if you saw it in a film. I imagine we are very accepting of one another's differing interpretations. After all, it is music, and that these musical examples don't even utilize text, let alone the human voice. Isn't that interesting? That generally speaking, music is a safe place for a variety of forms of interpretation, especially when the music doesn't contain text. In a way, we offer grace to one another when it comes to interpreting music in a way that you don't find in many other art forms or other walks of life. Speaking of art forms, have you ever really looked at the Bible as a piece of art? If so, what is it? It's historical, it's hyperbolic, it's literary, it's musical, it's poetic, it's prophetic, it's benign, it's surprisingly human, it's also mysteriously divine. It's, it's a huge conglomerate of things. And because of this, I don't think it's any secret that interpreting the Bible is a slippery slope. Thank God I'm really not going to do that today. <laughs> Humankind will literally fight to the death with one another to assert an authoritative interpretation of the Bible from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Why, yes, Luke, a certain point of view. It's because of this that I want to take a step back and dive further into my sermon from a more narrowly defined art form. Poetry. Poetry is a textual art form, but like music, I think we allow ourselves varied degrees of interpretations when it comes to our understanding of poems and, or collections of poems. It's kind of the point, right? One such collection of poems that has always fascinated me is William Blake's Songs of Innocence and Experience. This collection appears in two groupings, Innocence and Experience, with a total of 45 separate poems. It would take an entire 52-week calendar year to properly digest and make sense of this collection, but perhaps I shouldn't have said that out loud and given someone an idea. Um, what I will condense for you now is that these poems create a narrative for the reader that highlights the loss of innocence through experience. Wandering through life plays a key role in this collection as well. You see, humans are inundated with reasons to value experience over innocence, and Blake wants you to realize this. You could also imagine this collection of poems as a retelling of the story of Adam and Eve. It's very intentional by Blake. Whereby eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, experience, we are expelled from paradise, innocence. Do you remember your childhood? Do you remember the innocence that maybe you don't feel as much now, but you experience through children today? The time when we were alive, however long ago it might have been, before we were expelled from paradise. Before 
the world became real and truly came into focus. I'm sure most of us could probably remember a handful of specific moments from our childhood, but I would wager that we remember the majority of it through the way it felt. We use our feelings to describe our childhood. It felt safe. I was scared a lot. I had a loving home. I was lonely. This becomes truer and truer the further we get in age from our childhood. You don't have to remember with 100% accuracy what your first visit to the zoo was like. You You retain what it felt like, that sense of awe and wonder. Come to think of it, we probably recall our childhood much in the same way we recall pieces of music that we know and love. There's always a sense of malleability to our descriptions. We're prone to wander from one day to the next. We may not be able to pinpoint the exact moment, but at a certain point in our childhood or our youth or possibly early adulthood, we lose a large portion if not the entirety of our innocence. Sometimes this is by design. Throughout our earliest years, we're often told that we're growing up or that we need to grow up. (laughs) Sometimes it's because of an incident or series of incidents that cause us to see the world as a place where people get hurt. We start to see the world through eyes that have lost their sense of wonder. Our experiences and the experience we gain through life are the gateways that lead to the loss of innocence. You see, experience shapes us the way we see the world, other people, even our own place in society. And the more knowledge you gain from your experience, the more you know in your own right. You've heard of the motivational tagline, the more you know, and knowledge is power helpful, and true as they are, they fall under the umbrella of experience. They're both great and yet subtle examples of how our society values experience far more than innocence. Well, what type of motivational tagline would work under the umbrella of innocence? I'm going to steal one from a song I like. The more you know, the less you feel. Experience and the knowledge we gain through experience can cause us to be more open. For instance, if you're in a pastoral or volunteer position, but the majority of us aren't in those positions. And more often than not, our experience and knowledge can cause us to become less malleable because we think we know how things should be. Unfortunately, when we become less malleable, it can cause us to become less empathetic. And when we become less empathetic from the knowledge we have through our experiences, innocence dies. Now, knowledge and experience don't always have to be associated with something intrinsically negative like sadness or hurt. Remember, knowledge is power. Knowledge and the power we feel with knowledge, it can give us a just sense about ourselves. And I think this is really what we all want to convey to one another, that we know what the answer is. We know how things should be. The problem is, if we're always right, and on the path to obtaining more and more knowledge, 
we're just continually snuffing out any opportunity for innocence to come back into our lives. So how do we know if our sense of thinking is actually accurate? Well, let's turn to a very powerful and knowledgeable figure in our Bible, King David. Specifically, let's look at his last words as offered in 2 Samuel. One who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the light of the morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the, gla- on the grassy land. Now, I'd like to juxtapose this piece of scripture with a poem from Blake's collection. Remember, Blake wrote these collections of poems with the intent of retelling the story of humankind as expelled from paradise so that they might be able to come back. This is an excerpt from the introduction to the songs of experience. Calling the lapsed soul and weeping in the evening dew that might control the starry pole and fallen, fallen light renew. O earth, O earth, return. Arise from out the dewy grass. Night is worn and the morn rises from the slumbrous mass. Now there are three commonalities that I want to highlight between these two texts. One is that we have the transition from night to day. The second is that the setting always has dew on the grass, fresh rain. And the third is that there's an underlying sense of renewal that comes with the dawning of a new day. I know Blake's poem isn't in our Bible, but it's still biblically based, and I want to apply it to 2 Samuel as a little bit of a companion piece. So the idea, the idea goes like this. The dawning of a new day brings about the opportunity for renewal. A renewal of strength for the mind, the body, and the soul. Furthermore, according to King David, a just ruler is just because of their reverence towards God, their godliness, and their ability to be reborn in the morning sunlight. Now, because the second Samuel text is attributed to King David, I think we often associate the idea of just rulers with people in governmental positions of power, kings, queens, presidents, possibly even religious positions of power, like the Pope or the Dalai Lama. Since very few of us, probably none of us, are in those positions of power, it might feel like this concept doesn't apply to us. However, I would like to propose an alternative way to think about one who rules. Simple. You. Me. Each and every one of us in here. We each rule to varying degrees. Each of us are one who rules. Each of us have authority to an extent. At the very least, we have authority over ourselves. But truly, each and every one of us rules in a capacity that affects other people and our environments all the time. So how can we do this effectively as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus and his teachings? 
Well, our reading from 2 Peter basically gives you a Cliff Notes version of what to do. Make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, that reverence towards God, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about being right or correct at the expense of your innocence or your empathy. It's about the merging of your innocence and your experience, just like Blake's collection of poems. It's about recognizing that somewhere along your path through life, you have or you will lose sight of your innocence. It happens to all of us for a variety of reasons. The challenge for us is to wake up and find a way to reclaim a portion of that innocence that was lost. David Bentley Hart, an American Orthodox Christian philosopher and theologian, is quoted as saying the following, Wisdom is the recovery of innocence at the far end of experience. Wisdom, what we all wanted to begin with when we sat out on our life journey. To be correct, to be in the right. It's understandable that most of us think our knowledge comes from our experiences. That's true to an extent that will take you places. But wisdom, true wisdom comes to us when we wake up and begin to reclaim our innocence lost. And leading the way, it's love. It's right there in Second Peter. This is truly how you can know if your innocence and experience are out of balance. Are you continuing your life path leading with love? This is how you become and or remain effective in the world. This is how you confirm your call and your election This is how you practice what you preach. This is how you test the knowledge you have with the innocence you need. In other words, you have to think of your knowledge, your experience, as something that's malleable. You have to know everything and nothing at the same time. You have to recognize your journey through life with purpose, but also be aware of the times when you're wandering. And isn't that like so many other areas of the Bible, this idea of anti-logic? Let's look at Matthew 5, 38 through 41, the most famous anti-logical sayings. You have heard it. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. Or how about shortly thereafter with verses 43 through 45? You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. What you think you know has to be malleable with what's really going on. And it's only with your empathy, your innocence, that you can truly see things as they really are. The problem is, we don't put these into practice. They're anti-logical. It goes against all of our knowledge, all of our experience. They aren't the norm. If they were, violence, poverty, cruelty, inequality, they would cease to exist. It's mathematically sound, as ridiculous as that might seem. Sure, these, these evils would be there at first, but over time, attrition would begin to set in, and eventually there would be no more of this, because retaliation would be gone. There's a reason why these practices aren't the norm. They require us to balance our experience with our innocence, and as I've been saying the whole time, we're not very good at that. The second scripture lesson even tells us that if we do these things, we may be children, a return to innocence. Now, if you're wondering what you can do to balance your experience with your innocence, it might surprise you to know that you're already doing it. You risk the existence of everything you think you know every time you rest your head and fall asleep. You're on your way to regaining your innocence. Remember the importance of night turning into day. The sun rises and the morning light reveals fresh rain, fresh dew upon the grass. This is where the chance at a new beginning is always present. If you don't believe me, have you ever wondered why it's always around three or four in the morning that all the thoughts start racing in your head and you can't get back to sleep? It's not a witching hour. It's just part of this natural cycle, night into day. It asks you to call into question all that you hold to be true. Your body tires. Why wouldn't your mind tire and need rest as well? All that you think you know, all that you hold to be true, you have to risk their existence as night turns into day. And when you wake, you have to search for them again. And that might require some wandering. You have to put them to the test. Test them with the innocence of a child. Test your path through life with the scripture from Second Peter. In this way, you'll be able to temper your experience with your innocence. You'll be able to regain and retain those pieces lost from your childhood. Otherwise, you may be extremely knowledgeable, but incapable of bearing good fruit from the tree of knowledge because your ability to empathize, your innocence, your Eden, it's all but dried up. And here's how you can regain those pieces lost from your childhood. In the same way you listen to music with your feelings. Music doesn't have to be, it simply is. Our moods, our feelings, they wander as we listen to music. And because of that, the same pieces of music can mean different things to different people. The same pieces of music can mean different things to us on a different day, depending on the occasion. Find those moments from your childhood that feel safe. Recognize what that feels like. Hopefully it feels so good that you want to change the societal attitude and 
help pave a way for everyone to retain their innocence along their path through life. Think about the grace we can offer one another when we interpret music together. Now think of the arguments and the fights that happen all over the news, in, in our homes, in our churches. Think about how little grace we offer one another for interpretation. Know that when we offer each other little to no grace, when we don't apply the text from Second Peter to our daily lives, we give way to the continued cruelty, war, hate, death that feels overwhelming in this country and around the world. And the reason it feels so overwhelming all the time is because your innocence and your experience is out of balance. It's trying to bang it over our head, but taking that first step, it's the hardest. We all think we know the answer, but we're not listening to each other. And because of this, we're driving each other further and further apart. But do you want to know how quickly this all can change? Tonight. It could. The sun's going to set on all of us tonight, giving opportunity for everything we think we know to rest. And the sun will rise tomorrow and each and every day ahead of us, giving us the power and the strength for renewal, giving us the opportunity to temper our experience with innocence by supporting your faith with goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection, and love in increasing measure. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.